Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. In today's episode, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, is talking with Reverend Tracy Bianchi. Tracy earned her MDiv from Denver Seminary, and she has served as a preacher, pastor, and ministry leader for more than 15 years. Tracy has led creative and worship teams, women's ministries, student ministry, and camp ministry. Tracy has authored four books, including her most recent release from InterVarsity Press, which focuses on faith formation for women and girls, titled True You, Moving Beyond Self-Doubt and Using Your Voice. Tracy is the coordinator for the Center for Women in Leadership at Northern Seminary. Welcome, Tracy. Thanks for uh, chatting. Although we chat like all the time because we're both at Northern. We do. I feel like this is just a hallway conversation. This is awesome. <laughs> I know. Actually, we get a lot of work done as we uh, take our walks, right? It's nice. It's nice outside here in Chicagoland. For those of you who don't live in this area, there are a couple of weeks out of the year when we're able to go for nice walks and see the changing leaf colors and and all of that. So we get our steps in and get business done, you know? We do. It's it's a great gift to get to live uh, in October in Chicago, but also get to live nearby you. So that's been such a fun, a fun gift. Very fun. Very fun. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, how does somebody with a history and political science bachelor degree end up going to seminary? How, what was that story? Yeah, I know. It's an odd fit. I found my way from a family that did not go to church, but a wonderful, loving family. I never grew up in the church. And so I was the product of young life in high school and went from there to a local youth group where um, over the years I would come back during college and check in and say hi to my old youth leader. And one summer he said to me, hey, you should think about ministry. And it had never crossed my mind before I was at a state university. And once he said that, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I ended up uh, with his encouragement at, uh, finding my way into ministry. Yes. Wow. And I know that you uh, graduated from Denver Seminary, but it was a little rocky getting there. Not, not while you were there, but getting there. Tell, tell us that story. Yeah. You know, I uh, did not give much thought into where to go to seminary uh, after I had taken the invitation from that youth leader and did find my way into ministry, did some internships, and actually ended up hired by a church to uh, serve as a high school director. Uh, I realized then I needed some training and formation in how to do ministry and theology and uh, just kind of Googled seminary was kind of what happened. Oh, that's fair. And, that's fair. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. it happens, right? So I uh, ended up at a an institution that uh, what I did not know was that that was an institution that did not affirm women in ministry leadership. And because I had come from a setting where women were encouraged, uh, I did not know that not encouraging women was a thing. Yes, I know. <laughs> I had, our, yeah. I remember I had, our son who went to a... Christian liberal arts school uh, saying to me after the first couple of weeks, mom, I, d I didn't know that women weren't allowed to teach the Bible. And of course, that was my job. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Like how that you kind of tongue in cheek. That. I know. But that was a rude awakening for you, I'm sure. It was. And 
and then it occurred to me, and you know, I have some great colleagues that I was able to process this with. You know, I had never heard the word complementarian before, and suddenly I'm learning all this. And through their uh, kind encouragement and help, uh, I did find my way eventually to Denver Seminary, where my voice as a woman was accepted and invited, and that was very life giving. But um, yeah, and then that's you, it... yeah, sorry. And then you left seminary and you went straight to pulpit preaching, senior pastor, or maybe not so much. How does, no. it, how does the track typically go for women? Because I think that was the path you took. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to you. we're allowed to teach kids, right? Yeah. You know, so a lot of us, and, and I, and to be fair, I did serve in a church that had women at, in higher levels of leadership, but I followed the path so many women do, and they, you know, a lot of us graduate from seminary and we become children's pastors or youth pastors. And so, even though I had come from student ministry and had in my mind uh, vocational aspirations beyond that, I did go straight uh, into high school ministry and yeah. served there for a lot of years with young people. Um, and that was an easy place to kind of fit in as a female because we belonged with the kids. And again, our church affirmed women, but that's where it felt natural for me. So, Yes, yes. And, you know, I find this that um, at one level, it, it can sound, you know, horrible. Well, don't don't you love teaching the the next generation in the church? You know, don't I mean, it, it really is for some people absolutely where their gifting is. And sadly, I almost wonder if because women do it, it's actually devalued. <laughs> When really it is an amazing opportunity to teach uh, the younger grades up through high school. How, how do you wrestle with kind of the devaluing of things that, well, that's a place where women can serve? Do, do you know what I mean? Like that tension? Yeah. And, and, and you feel it. So it's so acute with so many women coming out of seminary and women, even without seminary degrees, who are serving in those areas. Because, you know, here you have literally sitting in front of you, the rising generations, you know, the future of all things are sitting <laughs> in our spaces. But yet it's relegated as um, as women's work in some ways. And you almost wonder, is this is this God's way of working the system that we've inherited by putting us in the place we belong with the rising generations? But I think it's so challenging to enjoy that moment because it feels like it's something that's been relegated to us. And so I feel a lot of times as women, the minute we get into those situations, we're trying to find our way out of it. I find, I find far fewer women who say they're lifelong youth workers than I do men. I find a yes. lot of men say they're lifelong youth workers. Women are not lifelong youth workers. And they may be called to that, but they, they have a hard time accepting that because of this dynamic. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, you, you went into uh, worship as well, right? To, to move into to that. Talk a little bit about your time as a worship pastor. Yeah, you know, over time, uh, and this is interesting, you'll find this, I think, in a lot of churches, uh, staff members who serve with adolescents often come to worship or other areas of the church with some of the most creative frontline ideas because they're working with these rising generations. And so in this unique sort of God-ordained, you know, cacophony of events, there were a lot of us uh, who were youth workers at the church where I was at. I was at a sizable church at the time. And we had an idea for a new worship service and asked for permission. 
were blessed the opportunity to create it, and the thing exploded from 150 people to um, almost 2,000 people. Holy cow. And so I came to worship that way. I, I'm not a musician. I'm not a recording artist. I'm not a vocalist. I'm a liturgist and a preacher. But we created some space and, um, yeah, and ended up uh, designing an entire worship service that really changed the trajectory of our church in many ways. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the struggles you think are uh, specific to women in this role of worship pastor or worship leader? Yeah, you know, the women that, so, you know, the, the musicians that and the vocalists uh, struggled so much with some of the things that I think just probably North American women in general struggle with. There was a lot of uh, body image. What do I wear? How do I look when I'm singing? Um, you know, it can be confusing sometimes. The way I move my hands or maybe sway my hips in worship could be misinterpreted or misconstrued. And so, again, um, the guys I served with, they didn't, they didn't worry about these things as much. And I, there was just this constant narrative that the female vocalists and worship leaders would bring uh, to their presence on the platform, which... Um, you know, unfortunately, would limit them then because, you know, they would be so uh, concerned about some of these things. And there would be comments made in the congregation. I don't think she should have that shirt on or I don't think she should wear those shoes. And sometimes maybe there would have been a course correction, but a lot of times, no. But people weren't sure what to do. Um, there was debates about whether they could pray and, and how much could they pray. And so it's very interesting. Yeah, so. so it sounds like there's some uh, just cultural issues on questions around what's appropriate. I don't necessarily want to use the word modest because I imagine they were all modest, but just what's appropriate in a church setting. But then also theological, when you talk about praying, um, what were, were there some hesitancies from a theological perspective? Um, well, it, you know, it's interesting because other than the preaching pastor, the worship leader really, and sometimes even a, the worship leader has more words at their disposal in a service than probably even the preaching pastor. And uh, the songs they choose, combined with the transitionatory, the transitioning, whatever the word is, the transitioning phrases to link those songs together, to the prayer, to sometimes the benediction even at the end. And you have this moment where you think, does this person have the theology and the and the chops to carry this, that carry this off? And again, this was a church that, you know, was was very affirming of women, but there's always sort of this question that comes up is, can this person do this? And I will say there were probably more questions asked over time about whether some of our women could do it. So, um, but yeah, yeah. And as you went through, um, through that, uh, those years of pastoring, you also wrote a book with uh, Adele Calhoun called True You. Uh, talking about a woman's voice, and I imagine a lot of your um, your reflection happened in that crucible of serving as a worship pastor. Yeah, talk a little bit about this book, True You. Yeah, um, Adele and I were both on staff at the same church together, and we're both at that time the only two ordained female staff, and so we got to share that together, and we're uh, excited to to share that space together. And we would have all these conversations over the years uh, in Adele's office about 
just the women that would come to us from uh, other congregations where they felt like their voices were muted. Uh, women in our own congregation who maybe not through the church but through other avenues were told to uh, not pursue certain things or maybe told to stay home. You know, whatever it might be, they, they were limits put on the voices of women. And over the years, we had sort of compiled these stories and thought, what if we put a project together where we could talk honestly about what it means to be female? And we, and we chose the subtitle, Using Your Voice Instead of Finding Your Voice, because mm -hmm. we believe that every woman has a voice. You don't have to find it. It's there. You have to learn how to use it. And so that was just our hope, was to help pull women um, through that process of saying and being what God has invited them to say and be. Yeah, well, and um, could you be, you know, just lay out a couple of specifics on why it's so hard for us to um, use our voice, and then we'll move into how we can practice using it. But yeah, first, what, what are some of the, because I think maybe some of our listeners will resonate with, uh, with some of the struggles that you heard. Yeah, I mean, just cultural messages was the, was one of the most obvious. The the messages that we get inside or outside the church just by the nature of being, you know, female that uh, we are somehow less than. Maybe we don't uh, deserve um, a certain position or paycheck that our male colleagues do. Uh, issues of shame that come up. You know, women who have been through. Uh, maybe some traumatic situations or sexual violence or abuse where they they struggle to uh, to exercise their voice because it was uh, you know used against them or power was wielded against them um, at some place. Uh, we talk talked a little bit too just about um, how women have a unique opportunity to decide whether they want to be in competition with each other or want to be a comrade alongside one another, and uh, you know because of tokenism, because sometimes in organizations they were like, okay, well, this is our one female pastor or our one this or that. We're often in competition, whether we want to call it that or not, for maybe 50 women are applying for one position. So how do we link arms together instead of compete with one another? So there's all these, these voices, I think, culturally that come at us, you know, outside of Christendom and then inside of Christendom, those voices become even more louder and acute, telling us what we can and can't do or, um, and so... Well, and it feels like the the penalty for failure seems so high for women. And I think studies have shown that, that women tend, uh, well, they're not going to apply for a job unless they meet all 10 requirements, whereas uh, men might say, oh, I make five or eight out of the 10 and go for it. There's a maybe a level, a more comfortable level of risk uh, among men than among women. But then you think, wow, there's this... Uh, cultural shame that comes in with failure. And so it's, it really becomes a vicious circle. Your failures aren't something you learn from. It's something that silences you. Well, yeah. And, and like you said, it's, you know, if we fail, if we have a bad sermon, it's because we shouldn't be preaching. Yeah. You know, if a guy has a bad sermon, it's because he had an off day or maybe he, you know, had a hard time with his kids in the morning. But if, you know, if we, if we have a bad sermon, you know, and it's not just our bad sermon, it's a bad sermon that's representative of all the women who've ever wanted to preach. You know, there's this right. tremendous right. burden on us to get it perfect every single time. And, and you just can't do that. 
No, no. So, so your book talks about uh, really living into the true you. How do we, how do we get out of this mess? And sometimes it's the mess in our own heads. I, I will say that for me, you know, get, you just get out of, um, get out of my own head and listen to what the Lord really says about who I am and what I'm to do. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, is, you know, we, we walk through a lot of the scripture that reminds us as women, we are invited into these places by God, that we have a sacred calling and that while we have things that limit us and hold us back, uh, we owe it to the Lord to work our way through those things uh, because God wants to say something through the voice of women. And so it's not just, oh, I want to overcome this, that, or the other thing. It's uh, the Lord of the universe has called me to do this. And so a lot of it is just going into scripture, reminding ourselves of that, and then um linking arms with each other. I mean, women do this so naturally anyway, even though there's that kind of competitive piece, but like finding a group, finding a community, finding a place where your voice is affirmed, where you can ask your questions, um, where you can feel safe with others to take the risks then that we need to take to put ourselves out there. Um, when you guys, when you and Adele wrote this book, what was it, 2014 that it came out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's not too old. Um, you know, a uh, couple of years, what, six years, eight years? I can't do math. Anyway, um, it, when you get to a certain point like my age, you think, oh, well, that's that's not, that's really recent, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but then I think so much has happened with the Me Too movement, with um, professional athletes saying, hey, we've got to do things differently. Um, we're not going to put up with, with all of this. What... Um, and, and then um, there's, there's been uh, a fall from leadership, well-known Christian male pastors, um, some of whom, well, they even throw the word misogynistic around as those who just uh, see women as very much less than men. Um, I, I mean, is there good news out there? How do we live into our the true you? Um, we've got it feels like real strong headwinds right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, and I, I like to look ahead and think, okay, we'll look at the progress we've made in the you know six or eight years since this book came out. And to be fair, there has been some progress, but I'm always cautiously optimistic at best because um, for every uh, progressive movement, perhaps that we've made culturally. I also find people who've just gone underground with their biases. And maybe they didn't change their thought, they just learned to, to mute it a little bit. And that is always, um, I mean, I, I will just say it's just terrifying when you meet with that kind of resistance. Um, and I think unfortunately too, you know, religious institutions are one of the few places where you can still maintain the the, the biases that we do against women because we claim them in the name of God and we claim we have these rights as religious institutions, which we do. But um, while, you know, culturally we may have made some strides in corporations or women's athletics, I think a lot of times we still are way behind in the church and really helping women achieve the potential um, that God has yeah. placed inside of them. You know, I was listening to a Christian music station driving into work the other day and there was a song uh, on, and the title was uh, Woman at the Well. And it was uh, beautifully sung. But of course, my antenna was up because I've written on 
John Four, the Samaritan woman, uh, for a long time now. Again, I don't know how long because I can't do math, but for a long time. And that story has always intrigued me. So I was very attentive to the words of this lovely ballad. I mean, it was, it was beautifully done, so I don't want to pick on the uh, singer at all uh, in this. But I, as I was listening to the words, I thought the image that's created of this woman at the well is a woman who has made really poor decisions it, and probably of a sexually immoral way that has led to her feeling unlovable. And the good news is Jesus loves her. Well, that is good news. And Jesus loves all of us, regardless of the sins that we've done. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. So, I mean, that's all great scripture. But it saddened my heart that this beautiful song carried with it what I think is just a, a, a an unhelpful way or a, a incorrect way of of reading John four. This is not an immoral woman. This is a woman who has had much heartache in her life and who is trying to make a go of it in the reality and context of of her life and and her culture. Um, and, and she's theologically curious and Jesus talks to her and hears her like the true you, if you're the Samaritan woman is a woman who has always wondered, do, is it really Mount Gerizim or is it Jerusalem? How, how do I really know the one true God? And that, that's what she thinks about. And that's how her townspeople know her, because when she goes back and says, I think I found the Messiah, they're all like, wow, yeah, we'll listen to you. And I don't think they would listen to a woman, typically a woman who has uh, been immoral in the way that she's generally painted, doesn't have the credibility with people, uh, neighbors, uh, in the way that this, this woman clearly did. And so I, I think, man, they're just so, um, there's just, it's just sad. It's just sad that we've got these stories that continue to be told, even about women in scripture, that uh, cause us not to feel confident in our voices or that mm, put, yeah, put um, added weight of reluctance on us stepping out to serve. Yeah. Well, and in this situation, the woman at the well could have been historically for women then a model of a sharp theological mind, a woman who dared to ask questions, who knew enough about um, the spirituality in the world she was in to ask this rabbi questions and to figure this out. She's not given credit for that. No. no. <laughs> so, it, no. you know, and, and stories like that need to be redeemed to, to, to help us as women know what we really are invited to. Yep. And that's, that's a great segue to talk about a more cheerful subject, which is the uh, Center for Women in Leadership. Hooray, here at Northern. Yay! Talk a little bit about, we've just launched that, and you've been um, just crazy busy getting our first conference off the ground. Talk just a little bit about the goals of this center and, and what we hope to do. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're thrilled uh, to be uh, launching this uh, this initiative. And again, just like 
the subtitle of True You, the name was intentional. This is the Center for Women in Leadership. Uh, we are excited to have a conversation with women who are leading or who know they are called to be leaders. And so uh, this is a space uh, a little bit different than, a, than the academic, um, the, the Women's Studies program, Lynn, that you direct. Uh, this is, of course, a, a program where, you know, seminary students are invited, but it's also a program that reaches beyond the academy. And so women who are ministry leaders, who are seminary students, who are volunteers at the churches, whatever it might be, um, and inside of the church, outside of the church, they're invited to come to these conversations with us. Our hope is to create a space where women who want mentors can find them, where mentors can find mentees, where um, we can bring um, monthly webinars, uh, conversations, things like this podcast, uh, to that space. And on October 22nd, we are going to enjoy together our first conference, which will be both online and in person. And uh, it's simply called Tove for Women, uh, based on uh, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger's book called A Church Called Tove. And so we're going to talk that day about what a goodness culture for women looks like. So lots more after that, but that is a, that is a quick mouthful of what we're doing. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you see the need, uh, you really see the need for that. What, um, in your ministry time, you probably wished you had a center like this. How, how would it have helped you when you were pastoring? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, again, like, I, like I've said, I, it, I was in a church that affirmed women, but at times I still felt very alone. Um, or I would go to a meeting and it didn't feel right. Something in the meeting felt off. And I would have a suspicion that it might be because I was female and was perceiving the dynamics in that meeting or experiencing them in a different way. And I just didn't have a place to process that. You know, and I would kind of go back to my office and make, am I crazy? Am I, you know, and so to have people to ask that question to um, and to realize, you know what, there are times where maybe I just thought too much into it. And there were times when, uh, no, I was, my gut instinct was spot on. And to have had either a coaching group or a mentor group to take that question to, um, to have a webinar maybe that talked about some of these things. Uh, or to just to know that there was this sort of army of sisters out there um, in different places that got it, um, I think that would have been a treasure, um, especially early on in ministry when I was also dealing with what it just means to be in ministry. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you think about the the book True You and when you think about the Center for Women in Leadership, what are some of the hopes that you have uh, like for we both have daughters, your daughter's in high school. My daughter is out of uh, college and medical school and in her career now, um, but they're both our daughters. What, what are some dreams that you have thinking about True You and thinking about this Center for Women in Leadership um, for them and their lives, what, what opportunities they, they will have and hopefully barriers they won't face? Yeah, I um, you know I don't know if my daughter will ever end up in ministry. Um, obviously, if she does, I hope that uh, these conversations um, pave the way for her, the generation of women who want to lead the church. Uh, and I pray that she remains faithful as an adult. And if she does, and she works outside of the church, but I pray she still goes to church. I, I want what God has put in her heart and in her life to be celebrated at church. Um, if she wants to serve with the children, I want her to serve with the children. But if she wants to be the chair of the board of trustees, I want her to be that too. <laughs> and, and I hope that 
um, these, these rising generations of girls um, will walk into their churches as adults and go, I belong here. I want to be on that team. I, I, have a, I have a prayer request about this. I feel God has led us to that. I want them to be able to speak the truth God's given them um, into their churches. And so I, I, hope, I hope that's what happens. I really do, because I think that's what God has for us. Yes. And I love the word you use, celebrate. Yeah, celebrate. Uh, celebrate their presence in the church, not question it, not wonder about it, but celebrate it. And certainly the Center for Women in Leadership, that's what we're about, celebrating what God has and what God is doing and will do. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Tracy, for this conversation. It's so great to visit. And there's much to celebrate in, in your journey, and uh, there's more to come. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. So thank you. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to hit subscribe so that you'll be notified when we upload a new episode every Tuesday with a conversation taking on an issue impacting women at the intersection of faith, ministry, and theology. If you'd like to check out True You, Tracy's book from InterVarsity Press, we've left a link for you in this podcast description. And there's still time for you to register for Tove for Women. Tove for Women is a special event hosted by the Center for Women in Leadership taking place on October 22nd. This unique one-day event is centered on Dr. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger's book, A Church Called Tove. Tove is a Hebrew word that means goodness. In a world that is long denied, ignored, or flat-out rejected the voices of women, this important conversation will help us shape a future where the contributions of women are known and celebrated. You can join us in person or online. Check out the link in the podcast description for more information and to register.